Give me a hand. Thank you. Wow, good morning. It's just uh, so great to scan the crowd and see all of the faces. And uh, many of you, uh, we've uh, worshipped uh, together uh, with, uh, for many, many years. And then now for the past uh, couple years, uh, you are on this uh, new spiritual venture uh, with God here in uh, Simi Valley and points from here. Uh, just seeing what God is doing and what you can be a part of what God is doing. And it's a precious moment for Renee and I uh, to be able to have this time uh, worshiping together. You know, it's so uh, incredible, people that have the gift, like the worship team here, to, to share that experience of, of worship uh, leading us. Uh, the, their voices and, and their, uh, their gifts, uh, uh, people like Peter right here who are thinking about these things. Really, really grateful for that. And uh, whatever configuration and whatever uh, technology we may or may not have and whatever size of the gathering may or may not be, uh, it's just something super, super special. And what a, what a privilege that, that we have to be able to use our voices to praise our Creator and to be able to use our minds and our thoughts to think such uplifting thoughts like are in the lyrics of those songs that we sing, uh, scriptures uh, woven into what we're singing. And, uh, and then to hear, uh, so there's our own expression, but then to hear simultaneously uh, the, the expressions of other uh, people of faith, other worshipers around us. And so uh, whatever else you may have done or do today, you've already got something really, really right. Yes. And that is reaching out to God and expressing, expressing your faith. And wherever you might be on your spiritual journey, because in a, in a gathering this size, we have people on a whole range of, of the spectrum of where we're at and wherever our, our on-ramp might have been to be in the, you know, in the flow of a relationship with God and however long we've been in that. I mean, you just, you just have so many different experiences and so, so uh, many different time frames of doing that. And yet here you are joining in this. Uh, so that's, that's just great for, for your expression of your faith, but also you've helped other people. Because if I had just been in here by myself, it, it would have been meaningful, but there was, something, there was something added about us being all together. Also, today is my 59th birthday, today. And uh, so, Jordana, your spiritual birthday and my physical birthday, we're, we're, we're twins now in some way, some, in some in the universe somehow. Uh, but, uh, you know, at my age now, and I had heard people use this expression before, and I didn't really understand, but now I understand it. They would, they would use their birth date, and they would say, I made. I, I, I made 55. I, I, I made 59 today, and it's, yes. like, it's like an accomplishment, you know? And, and, I, and I'm literally, uh, this morning, I'm, I'm out, and I, I've watched the sunrise at, at seven, about 7, 10 a.m. It came over the eastern uh, side of the San Fernando Valley, and I'm already thinking, uh, you know, I, I'd like to make 60, I, you know, and instead, of, and instead of dreading it at this stage, it's like, I, 
I really hope I make 60. I'm a, you know, uh, because there was a point there, I think, in my early 50s where birthdays were coming and I was dreading them. And now, now I'm, I'm to the point where, I, you know, it's a good thing now. It's a, uh, you know, I made that. So anyway, that's, that's just that. But it's great to connect with you. So we're, um, we've been in, in uh, the San Fernando Valley, we've been in a, a series for a while uh, called Disciple. Okay. And part of what we're doing with that is, you know, we're thinking about the fact that Jesus welcomed everybody. And Jesus would want a relationship, a connection with everybody. He wanted that when he walked physically on the earth. And ever since then, he's wanted to be able to have, in a spiritual way, a relationship, a connection with anyone and everyone from wherever. This is what he wants. But, but the question could be, well, what does it mean to be in a relationship with Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of His? One of His favorite words, I mean, one of His favorite words, that's Jesus, to describe those who were followers of His. One of His favorite words was this word, disciple. And, and the, the, those that wrote about His life, His, his uh, biographers, although they're called gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're absolutely runaway by far, nothing even close second, their favorite word to describe those who were in this kind of close, proximate relationship with Jesus and who had a, a certain uh, you know, connection in the following of him, this was the word, disciple. And so we just thought it would be good to uh, spend some time with that. And so I'm taking uh, like four messages, and I'm going to wrap them into one. So we should be done by about four. You didn't, you know, you didn't tell me how long I should go. So, all right. So here's the first time. Here's the first time that it's mentioned as, as recorded uh, in the Gospels by Matthew. Uh, now, there, you'll, in some translations, they will have headings, but these headings were added by the editors. And so it might come up, you know, uh, the calling of the first disciples or whatever, like I think in chapter 4 of Matthew. But, but actually, when you look at the, the, the text right through, this is the first time. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples, there it is, the first time, came to him and he began to teach them. Now, there's crowds in this episode, in this scenario, and, and it's something you might want to study sometimes is, is how Jesus interacted with the crowds because something always interesting happened yeah. when Jesus interacted with the crowds. Sometimes he fed them, sometimes he taught them, but in this particular occasion, he actually sees the crowd and he moves away from them. So here's the crowds and Jesus sees them and he's moving away from them and he's not just moving away, but he's moving up. He's moving up on this mountainside. So there's a different vantage point from where the crowds were and where Jesus ended up. And then it says it was his disciples who came to him. And this is something interesting that a, a follower of Jesus does. They actually follow. And that is they're always trying to orient, where is Jesus now? What's Jesus up to now? What's he doing now? And they did that physically. And we can do that in our thoughts and in our, the way we approach our life. And, 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 but they did that. And they went up with him up on the mountainside. And then here is this, which really is the central definition of what, of what being a disciple and in this way, being in this kind of relationship with Jesus about. It says, he began to teach them. Now, that was the first time this is mentioned. So, of course, it would be a beginning. 
What did they do when they came to him? But it could have, there could have been other things that he could have done with them. He could have healed them. He, he could have just sat there quietly and emanated the presence of God. And that would have probably been really cool. He could have done that. There are all kinds of things that he might have done. But what he did was he began to teach them. This is this kind, the crowd's here, Jesus here, the crowd's here, the disciples go here with Jesus, and what happens in that moment, he begins to teach them. Now there's a, there's a point in time where everybody who is a follower of Jesus enters into this kind of relationship with him, where all of a sudden you're now in a situation in your life where Jesus is teaching you things. And there was a time when he, you weren't in that kind of relationship, that wasn't happening, and now all of a sudden you're in this and you're learning things from Jesus. He is teaching you. There's a point where that begins. Now, one of the things that we're going to be going back and forth with is for the next few minutes is it with a disciple, and I had this in my mind. I had the idea that it was something that one arrived at. There were certain things that you went through and certain uh, uh, commitments that you made and certain things that happened, and then, and then, bam, now there you are. You're a disciple, and that's it. It's kind of finished. It's, uh, it's, it's something that's arrived at. But this idea that... Jesus began to teach them, I have noticed is something that's happened again and again and again in my life. Because I've, as I've entered into new situations, situations that I hadn't been in before, situations that because they're new situations, I don't know how being a follower of Jesus is in that moment, he's had to begin again and begin again and begin again to teach me new things. Like, another thing, because it's my birthday, you know, I'm reflecting on life and mortality, and I'm entering into the window of time that I'm soon going to have lived longer than my own father. And that's kind of weird for me, because even though he's been, he's been gone many years, as he approached 60, he, his health was failing and, and he was passing. And I'm, I'm entering that, that window now of that time, and, and I'm, I'm realizing that that was a big one for me. The day my father died, right. I entered into a whole phase of life that really rocked my world. Yeah. Even though we saw it coming, when it actually happened, the finality of it, it was, it was really significant for me. And I remember that now as a moment in time where I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to be in that, and it was, Jesus began to teach me some new things. Even though I had been following him at that moment, I had been following him for many years, that was a beginning again moment for me. And so you have these different things, and so it's like this. Now let's look at the last time, or well, definition first. Uh, in the, the original language from which the word disciple that we get in our English is translated from is the Greek word mathetes. And it means, in its original form, a student, a follower, and a committed learner. And it is found 273 times. So there's a lot of material there. 273 times this particular expression is used in the Gospels and the Book of Acts to, to talk about these followers. This is the last time. That was the first time. This is the last time, as Matthew records it, not only as Matthew records it, but it would have been the last time that Jesus is interacting as he's, he's in this ministry before he ascends into heaven. And it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, so some, some things that stand out to this, both in the first time it was used and in the last time it's used, this original definition of a student, a learner, it, it plays out. Jesus goes up on a mountainside, first time it's used, and his, his disciples came to him and began to teach them. And then at the very end, he's here, and I want you to, what, what Jesus wanted everybody to be was disciples, go into all nations, make disciples of them, and then what do you do? Then, then teaching them to obey. So, so there's this centered in the idea of being a disciple is this idea of, of learning. But here's something else that's in this. Somehow in whatever definition you must have of being a disciple, you have to have room for the presence of doubt. Some doubt it. At this point, they had been made into disciples by the greatest disciple maker into of all time, Jesus himself. And yet, there was this moment, and it's the departing moment. So he had given them, in some sense, everything he was going to give them up to that point. And yet some doubt it. And so whatever I may have thought at some time about it being something, a fixed, a fixed place, a fixed point of, of, of being arrived at, it has to include any understanding of it, the presence of, of some doubt, of, of some questions, of some, of some misgivings, of some, I'm not there yet, I don't get it yet, I don't see it yet. That that's part of it too. And so that... In this, from the, the span of the first time where there was the beginning and this last parting moment, and then there's a, whole, there's a whole lifetime that one can live in between that of this experience of being committed to learning. And in the end, I think that's because this language describes process. And it describes not something that you arrive at, but something you're co continually in. A disciple is someone, have they learned some things about Jesus? Absolutely, but, but they haven't learned everything about him yet. Right. They, they, there's still more, and they haven't learned everything about him for every situation that they've ever encountered, and so there's more beginnings to be had, and more things, and of all the things that he's taught, there's more yet obedience to be had. I could think, and I have thought, I've acquired a certain proficiency in my obedience of Jesus. And then Renee says something, and I know I'm called to, to be humble and to be mutually submissive, but I'm not feeling it at that moment. And now the, 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 there's another level of obe obeying the Lord and obedience with Him that I'm being invited into. I mean, right there in that moment. Here's a, a quote from the uh, futurist, passed away now, Alvin Toffler. He said, The illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read, and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And I think this is so much the path of being a disciple. And so much of my, and it probably, you know, says a lot to you about me, but so much of my path of being a, a learner of Jesus is hitting points where, oh no, I thought it was this way, but I'm learning now it's this way. And that means I've got to unlearn when I thought it was this way. There's an unlearning process in my following of Jesus. Right. 
And that becomes sometimes more challenging than the initial learning of the thing that I thought that was the way it was. And so the spiritually illiterate, and this is hard, the spiritually illiterate could be anybody, and you go from being literate to illiterate spiritually, when at any given moment you're not willing to learn, unlearn, relearn something. Because following Jesus is different than following my idea of Jesus. I have had an idea of Jesus. This is Jesus for me, and this is what he meant, and this is what he taught, and it's great. And then there's something else, and there's something more, and there's something different. And now I've got, but I thought it was this way, and but, but, but is it this way, or, or maybe it's... And, and one, of, one of the phrases, uh, well, well, first of all, uh, if you look at a thesaurus, a learner on some, the one that I was looking at, it had all these different ideas of, of learning, and then it had the antonym or the opposite, which was expert. At the very list, and I thought, okay, so this is, but I think that's what I was wanting. I was wanting to be an expert. Isn't that like there's a certain point, and you're a disciple, and you're an expert on these things. And there was a time where I, I thought of myself as an expert. Like, especially on things like parenting. I was teaching parenting classes, and I thought, we got this, you know. And uh, I laugh now because, because uh, people had this expression of the, the terrible twos. And we tell them, no, 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 it's the tremendous twos. We've got to be positive, you know. <laughs> and then both of my sons went through the 20s, and I thought, no, it's the terrible 20s. <laughs> Forget about the terrible The 20s, you know, as they're now out on their own, and they're adults, and they're making a decision, and I have no control and, you know, limited influence and, and how hard that was for me as a parent. And, and so, but also, I had to many, many, many times find all my expert badges and awards and, and uh uh, you know, uh, certificates, and I had to turn them all in uh, because they, they, they meant absolutely nothing. And, and, and there's, there's this sense of, of being a, a disciple is, is not, it's the actual opposite of being an expert. Right. It's in fact, because, because it's who we're following and because of the, the depth of the things he wants to teach us, we're continually, he leads us continually in a situation where we're out of balance, we're off guard, we're disoriented, and we have to, we have to reorient again to him. And so a disciple is a committed learner. And so if that's the case, if Jesus is our teacher, what is it that he wants us to learn? That's a fair question. Because we're not just disciples of anybody, we're disciples of Jesus, we're, we're following him, we're wanting to learn from him what he wants to teach us. And so now here's the question that begs. Well, if he's our teacher, what is it he wants us to learn? He could not have made it any more obvious and any more clear than he did. A, a, a new command right. I give you. Love one another Amen. as I have loved you. Right. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Amen. He says it again. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then he finishes that out. This is my command. Love each other. If you were Jesus and you wanted to get it across to people, if you don't learn anything except this one thing, let it be this one thing. If you're around me and you're wondering, what is it I want you to learn from me? If you're wondering, what is it I want to teach? This is what I teach. Everything I do, everything I say, this is always what I teach. How else could he have said it? Then he said it this way. 
And so when we're, when we're followers of Jesus, when we're in this learning relationship with Jesus, the one thing that he most wants us to learn is to love. But what's really remarkable in this is that he doesn't say, although he says it other places, when he's really zeroing in this laser command, he doesn't say, I want you to learn to love me. Because I think we would feel like that would be pretty easy and awesome. Loving Jesus. Who doesn't want to love Jesus? He loves us, and he's always full of grace and full of mercy, and he's always perfect. And he's, but it's, it's to love one another. Amen. It's the loving one another that we're called to do. And in that are the many surprises and the many off-guard imbalance moments and the many times where we're invited to realize, yes, again, I am not an expert. I have, it's in relationships with real people, real people with real scenarios and real problems and real issues. It's in all those. And what do we most, what does he most want us to do? This is it. Yet again, yet again, yet again, to learn something else about how to love. But the master key to this, and sometimes because it's there, we could, we could just skim over it and not realize it does actually all come back to him because it's as I have loved you, as I have loved you. So that's the, when I'm in a situation where I've got yet to learn again how to love somebody, whether it's my adult sons or whether it's one of you who has a different point of view than I have or a different uh, experience of life than I have and it might put us in conflict or whatever might be going on, at that moment when I'm, when I'm called to love you and I see where my love of you is at, what I'm also seeing is where I am at in having allowed Jesus to love me. Wow. Where I have been at and experiencing in real time, you know, he loves me. He sees me for all my flaws, and he unconditionally, full of grace, full of mercy, full of forgiveness, he loves me. And to the, only to the degree that I've experienced being loved by Jesus, am I going to, in another experience, know how to yeah. express what the loving thing would be to do towards you? And so, again, what is it that we're, we're learning? It's all connected, but at any given moment, at any situation, as a disciple, I'm, I'm to learn again, and I'm far from being an expert on this, to learn again, what is it like for Jesus to love me and then how, and connect with his love, and then how can I express that to other people? So that's the learning. Now, we talked about it being a committed learner. This is what it is we're to learn. So... Here's the call he makes to commitment. And, and it's so clear when he makes this call. It's so direct. It's so unambiguous as to what it is that's the commitment side of the committed learning that a disciple is involved in. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. He said this in various ways. He actually one time even said, if you're not willing to do this, you're not worthy of me. Another time he said, you cannot be my disciple unless. And these things, deny self, take up cross, and follow, they're a progression. They really are steps. Yeah. 
that one has to be done before the other before the other. And the goal is to follow him. But to follow him, we've got to have denied ourselves. And in the following him is the taking up the cross because what Jesus did, he was a cross carrier. He carried the cross that bore our sins. And anybody that's going to be following him, he says, you're going to be a cross carrier too. There's going to be some kind of working in the world in a way that, that helps sinners. Right. You're going to be doing that in some way that you're going to be a cross carrier too. But we're not going to be interested when we're thinking about ourselves and obsessing about ourselves in doing that. So step one in the progression is to deny ourselves. Amen. Deny yourself. And when it comes down to it, the block between me learning more about Jesus, the barrier between me following Him and where I'm at now is me. I get in the way. I'd like to blame you. I really would. <laughs> Maybe if you spend five minutes with me, I'll, actually, I'll find a reason why I should blame you. But in the end, it's me that gets in my way in following Jesus. It's the stuff that I carry around with me that I would do better living without, but I hold on to, and it keeps me from following him. Now, we could talk for hours about taking up the cross and then the actual following him, but let's just focus on denying the self. What is the self? What is the self that, that we need to deny? And both in terms of you, you, me, it's really important for us to be really acquainted with the self that needs to be denied. Because the self that needs to be denied when it's not named and owned and identified hides out and all kinds of shadows and nooks and crannies, and then asserts itself at the most um, inopportune times in our life, right about the time we think we've got spirituality and being a disciple wired, and then that self that was meant to be denied but we, was hidden, and we didn't see, reasserts himself or herself. Uh, and there's also this, to understand kind of how it expresses itself, but, but a metaphor it, my, my self to be denied is like this. The self that I need to deny is like this. And the more we can recognize and say, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this, the more that we're zeroing in in precise precision with that, the more progress we're going to make in getting, getting that self out of the way so we can get on with the following and learning of Jesus, which is being loved by him and loving others the way he loved. So, so the two-year-old, you know, the two-year-old is the got to have what he wants, when he wants it, which is now. And, and, you know, the universe is falling apart if he can't have what he wants when he wants to have it. Everything else is just not important compared to this having what he wants and, and, and the acquisition of the I, me, and mine and orienting the entire universe around this, which is the center of all reality. And the first signs of the obsessiveness that we have with ourselves and our wants and our issues and our needs and, and our things, this is, this is where it begins. And it's important for us to recognize when even as somebody as old as 59 still has that two-year-old in there wanting to have the world revolve around itself. But that leads to myself is like a cluttered garage 
Myself is like a two-year-old. Myself is like a cluttered garage because the I want, I got to have, I want it now, now, now leads to a bunch of clutter in life. Things that were experimented with and forgotten, buried in the back of that garage is all kinds of half-written stories and half-pursued dreams and then they've been stopped and they've been diverted and something else came along, something else became the flavor of the week, something else became the gotta have it now. And, but after a while, there's not any room in there anymore because of all of the clutter that's been built up. And so it could be that the self that you need to deny or I need to deny is the self that created this kind of a life. The self that created this kind of life where there's no room. I don't have any room for Jesus. I don't have any room for spirituality. I certainly don't have any room to love you or room for you because my life, myself, is like a cluttered garage. And it's just pushing me out and it's, it's literally outside. When, when are we not even going to be able to close the door on that? Okay, the self is also like... Picture this only on the inside of this guy. The ego, the self, and, and our self is like that, and it's, it's meant to be, you know, like just kind of empty. The, our self, really, it's, it's empty. Our selves are empty. There's nothing, there's nothing there. Solomon put it this way, when we chase to pursue and fulfill ourselves, what you end up getting is, is you're chasing the wind. This is just chasing the wind. And so... What we do, though, is we, we sometimes in conflict with people or sometimes when we're, when we're uh, feeling insecure. I don't think this is just me. But I'm, I'm putting, you know, I'm breathing, trying to breathe into substance into this me that is me. And, and, and you kind of know when, when you've been really putting something everywhere because it gets really uncomfortable. Kind of like after that meal that we had last night, Gio. It's kind of like when, you know, you ate a little bit and, whoa, you're just kind of, you know, you, you feel kind of, kind of bloated and kind of distended and kind of, whoa, that's a little, that's a little too much. And then what's, when, when a picture, picture a balloon that's just stretched to its outer edge and somebody's walking around with a pin. And they're careless and they're not thinking about you. And, 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 and how many pin poppers do you have in your life? And you're thinking the problem is with them and their pin-popping ways. They, they don't appreciate me and they don't, they don't value me and they're not thinking about me. But we don't realize it's because we've, we've actually inflated our ego and our self and our view of the world. Like the, the, universe, the universe just wouldn't be the same without us in it. And we've so inflated that to when now everybody's a pin-popper now. Every conversation, every word, every thought is now somebody coming at us with a pin. And if we would just our own selves just go, Lord, help me. Here's a prayer for you. Lord, help me to see the world as it is and be completely unconcerned with where I fit into it. I'm, I'm praying that prayer. The verdict is still out as to how, how much far it's reaching into my heart. But... Lord, help me to see the world as it is and be completely unconcerned about my place Amen. in the picture. Because when I'm concerned about my place in the picture, <sighs> myself is also like an addict. My, my relationship with myself in me 
is like the relationship an addict has with the drug of choice. As powerful as any drug might be to any user, I have learned after many years of battling in the battle of denying self and, and, and to follow Jesus, I have, I have learned that that addictive tendency, addictive nature, call it a disease that I have with myself, that's the kind of relationship that I have. That's what myself is like when it comes to what needs to be denied. So what I want to do now, just for just a, a, some practicals as we wrap up, okay. is to borrow from the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I find them periodically good to just go back and reference, reality check, where I'm at, and what step I might most benefit in working on in this dealing with the addict that is the self in me that I need to deny. So here's the first one. We admitted we were powerless over, and you know, they would say alcohol, but we say, so, oh, by the way, I forgot. Uh, my name is Ron Quint, and I, I'm a selfaholic. We admitted we were powerless over self and that our lives had become unmanageable. And this always is the first step. And sometimes I think I'm only at the first step. Connecting the unmanageableness of my life with the self that needs to be denied. Yeah. Wanting to connect the unmanageableness of my life with everybody else. But he lives in here. And to the degree that I can admit that and own that, there actually is the promise of freedom. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Sometimes this has been a step because I've gotten so discouraged at times, really. I've gotten so discouraged with my battle with myself and how persistent and unstoppable my sinful self seems to be in wanting to hide and then reassert himself. And I've needed to come back to just the basic belief, the basic faith that God has enough power to give me victory over this. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. The decision I made years ago was great, but what about the decision that I need to make this morning, today, this afternoon, to turn my will over to His? Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I especially like the word fearless because it's scary. To look at myself and look at how myself has expressed Himself in all the horrible, hurtful, damaging ways, to actually look in that mirror is uh, scary and frightening, and it does take both searching and fearlessness. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. What a powerful step. God gives us the gift of confession, and yes to Him, but also to be able to enter in the world of human beings and a human relationship that you, you have that kind of connecting of dots in your life. We were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. You know, it's possible to get all the way to step five and then say, I'm not ready. Yeah. I know this self has caused a lot of problems, but I love him. He's always been with me. And I know him. And I'm, I'm, a, list a, little bit, I'm a little bit secure with, with him. And that the idea of living without him and getting rid of him, that's a pretty scary thing. So, you know, there's that being entirely ready. 
humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. What a powerful prayer to be able to name the shortcoming as it is and ask God to remove it. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. See, this is the area of, of following Jesus, of, of letting Jesus love me enough that I could have the courage to look at this. But then that love starts showing up and connecting the dots with how have I been treating the other people? What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like for Renee and, and other people in my life and to, to be able to go back to them and make amends? Made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them and others. I like that last phrase because it may be where I'm at and what might be good for me, like you know, vomiting up on you, all of my problems may not be right for you. That may be kind of a yucky experience for you and maybe not, not helpful, uh, not productive in your life. So to remember that. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. You know, it's not like we stopped sinning and that the sins that we've dealt with before, that's it now. We don't have anything to deal with. There's an ongoing, continual process. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious connect, contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will and for us and the power to carry that out. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to selfaholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And that's such a great thing, and we just continue to cycle through these, and at any given moment, there's somebody that might be a little bit ahead of us that could help us, but there's always going to be somebody else that's just getting on the on-ramp yeah. into a relationship, somebody else that we can help. And what's, what people in recovery know is that part of any real substantive recovery is helping somebody else in their recovery. And that's certainly true in the battle with denying self. But here's the final thing that I want to leave you with. So he told them this parable, can the blind lead the blind, will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Not only did I at times in my life think of being a disciple as a fixed thing to arrive at and realizing, no, it's an ongoing process of learning. It's an ongoing process of beginning again with Jesus yet in another situation to learn. And it's also a process of unlearning things that I thought were right, and now I see in new light uh, there's, there's something different to be seen and experienced with Jesus, or a different way to represent Him or be loving in His name in the world around us. There, there's something else, and that is the, the, the call to commitment, the denying self, the taking up the cross. I've also viewed that as an end in itself. And I've got to tell you, self-denial as an end in itself, I think could be, could be one of the most oppressive ways to live life. Right. Yeah. Self-denial in the service of self-denial, or self-denial in the service of self, I mean, think of the contradiction, right. is really oppressive. And it's a no-win situation. Self-denial in the service of becoming like Jesus, that's a completely different yeah. thing. Self-denial that's, that's put into the service of wanting to be like him and wanting to learn to love like him, then I begin to see, you know, what is it that hinders me from really feeling loved by Jesus? It's myself. It's my fearful self. 
It's my selfish self. It, he gets in the way, and when I get him out of the way, then I, I start to experience more directly the love Jesus has for me, and I can pass that on to other people. Sometimes I'm too prideful to be forgiven. I'm too prideful to, to just accept the fact that I just need grace. I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to arrive at it. As much as I would like to be that guy that arrived at it, I'm, I need grace. And, and to, to, to have the humility uh, to accept that. And so wherever you are in your journey, again, think of the freeway on-ramp. And maybe you're just getting on, or maybe you've been on for a while. A, a, a fresh look at being a, a follower a committed learner, and, and let tomorrow morning be you with Jesus up on the mountainside, and he's going to begin. Amen. Whatever he may have taught you, that tomorrow morning he's going to begin to teach you something Amen. great Amen. and something new, and it'll feel like him loving you, and it'll somehow feel like you being able to be in a better position to love other people around you. Okay? All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to end with a prayer, yes. and then we're going to be done. Amen. Let's, let's pray. We can, uh, we'll stand up, and then we'll pray. Well, Father, thank you for this, uh, this great group of people uh, seeking you, uh, loving you, wanting to know you. And, uh, Father, we pray for the word of Jesus, the call of Jesus, uh, the heart, the love of Jesus to be more in us. We pray for courage a fearlessness in our lives, but also just the, uh, the faith to take that step out into the unknown of learning something new uh, from Jesus. Uh, thank you for loving us, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Okay. So I just